Well, guys, we're back. I, I mean, I don't even know how to start this. This uh, this week, it's uh, it started out pretty great with the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, and then uh, the news came down today uh, regarding basically all of USF, USF athletics, and uh, some budget cuts, uh, people getting fired, and just really kind of a solemn kind of last hour and a half or so. So uh, let's just kind of get into it. This is the Blooming Eye Podcast. Your host, Nathan Bond, alongside me as always, Robert Stieg, Seth Varnador, and Anthony Vito, our podcast producer. I mean, there's no two ways that, two ways about it. Today sucks. Uh, USF announced today 30, 30 uh, athletic staffers uh, will have their positions eliminated. And then throughout the rest of athletics, salary reductions and furloughs, uh, varying between two and I believe fifteen, two and twelve point five percent of their salary, uh, depending on their compensation level, it'll save the department approximately two point five million dollars, uh, along with those you know salary reductions. Uh, head football head coach Jeff Scott men's basketball coach Brian Gregory and uh, vice president of athletics Michael Kelly will all take 15% cuts uh, throughout the rest of the fiscal year. Just real terrible. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I know bonuses are not going to happen. Car stipends will not happen. It's just a pretty, pretty awful day all around. And it sucks. You know, we, Lord knows we've given athletics our fair share of grief over the over the years, and uh, I mean, we know that there's talent there, which is why we're hard on them. And it sucks that some of that talent's not going to be there anymore. And it, it felt like they were they were handicapped from the get go. So I, I can only imagine how more strapped they're going to be uh, moving forward. Uh, no idea on who's gotten laid off quite yet. Um, some rumblings, but nothing that I would feel comfortable putting out into the public sphere. Uh, but it, it just generally sucks. Um, you know, Vito, Steve, you've kind of interacted with the, you know, the athletic department over the last couple of years as you've you know, covered men's basketball games, football games, thoughts, feelings, anything. I mean, the obvious thing is, uh, you know, my, my thoughts, prayers, and, and my heart goes out to these people. Cause I mean, that absolutely sucks. Uh, this is an absolute gutting, you know, time that we're in from this entire year. And, you know, my heart goes out to their, their, their family and, you know, their loved ones and everything like that as well. Um, and, but like you said, there's a lot of talent there, you know, these people are going to end up back on their feet. It's just, God, it, it sucks. These are some good people. These are, I, I love USF with all my heart. I give them a lot of shit online, but I, I love this university. I'll, I, I'll do anything for them. And if, if there's a way they could, you know, if there's any positive from this, they're going to get better from this. You know, these people are going to find a way back on their feet and, and USF is going to going to recover, but God, it's, it's a bad time right now. It's a really unfortunate reality of the COVID-19 pandemic. And just, we, we, we kind of saw that, other programs were were cutting sports left and right and cutting staffing positions, folks taking pay cuts. And we haven't really, we didn't really see it at least on the face at USF. And this is the first time that we're seeing it. And uh, of course we don't have all, we don't have all the information. I'm sure Nate will get more out when we, when we know it, but it sucks. I mean, yeah, we, we, you know, we criticize the department for, for, for things left and right, but these are people and you interact with them, you know, in the, during the media uh, media scrums, you interact with them, you know, just, 
eating cookies and, uh, uh, you know, getting food. It's just like, you know, they're, everybody's always really nice. Everyone's always try, doing their best. And it's just, it, it, it's unfortunate to have to wake up and lose your job like that. And it's, I, my heart goes out to them and hopefully that all the staff can get back up on their feet and that there's something that they can uh, move forward with and that the department can, can, can work through it as well. Um, I know that USF is also going to be going through uh, some, some, some issues uh, moving forward, but uh, we won't know what's going to happen until, until it happens. It's just unfortunate with the pandemic that it has to come down to this. Yeah, so I talked to a, a staffer tonight who, um, you know, luckily still has a job as of now, and they basically said they don't know who else has been let go, furloughed, fired, because a lot of people are still working remote. So, you know, it's a lot of trying to figure out who 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 should I text, who should I call to figure out who who's going to be working with me tomorrow. It's just a. Uh, uh, just a difficult time all around. I know, I think, you know, so far all of us on this year podcast have been lucky enough to retain a job through, through this. And I hope we can say that, you know, two months from now, a week, who, who knows? And it's, it's, uh, it's tough to try to navigate 2020 this year, you know, with, without a job, with the uncertainty of if we're going to have a job, this time next week. So hopefully they get back on their feet soon. And I mean, if you guys have the means, please donate to the Bulls Club. Donate to USF if you can. Dessert. They need it. And just you know, and if you're if you're hiring for graphic designers or whoever ends up getting released, I mean <clears throat> some good people at uh at USF will they they would surely be lucky enough to uh find a new job and help out in any way you guys can with that let's get into i guess football i guess uh, yeah man, it, it's so weird do we want to let out one <laughs> exciting yelp for our stanley cup champion tampa bay lightning <laughs> finally that's about it that's all i can muster right now if, Woo! nhl hockey basically it was uh Pretty exhilarating. Was that the uh, celebration last night? Steve was there. Who else was there? Carl was there. Car- Carl yeah. was there, yeah. It was a TDS takeover, basically. Pretty much. Well, you and me, really. And Carl just kind of. Carl could yeah. be there. Carl was there. <laughs> he was definitely there. Andy uh, Taylor 6 was there. I mean, fr- fr- friend there. of the blog. Absolutely. So, let's just get into it. As we all know, last week's game against FAU got canceled due to Notre Dame being dirty. So they had can't they had COVID positive tests. USF was basically down to uh, about seventy eight players. Jeff Scott said earlier this week practicing. Uh, they were able to get a couple practices in late last week uh, over the weekend. But at one point, you know, seventy eight out of one hundred and fifteen guys were able to practice. That's a that's a huge chunk of players not able to practice either due to positive tests or contact tracing. And Jeff Scott was asked today, you know, how would, would he describe this week as encouraging? And he said, it's not the word he'd use. Um, and more, uh, you know, resiliency is how he described it. Just trying to get to the next day with us. It happened. Guys. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. And 
you know, I guess let's just kind of get into uh, Cincinnati games at three thirty on ESPN Plus. Well, on this year podcast, uh, we have an affiliate link uh, for ESPN Plus signups that helps the blog. So we'll we'll link that in the story here. Let's go straight to quarterback play. We've got Kate Fortin's, uh He's you know pending something crazy happening with COVID testing. He's going to be available. He's out of the phantom zone. He's out of the phantom zone. Seth, you've been a pretty big proponent of Cade Forden. Uh, you know, without seeing much of him, what what do you believe he can bring to the quarterback room that this quarterback stable of, of you know battle that hasn't been there yet through two games? Well, in the single highlight I saw from him in fall camp, he made a pretty nice throw. So that's all I'm going off of right now. So that was positive, but uh, the throw. <laughs> what a throw! <laughs> Tight window between two guys. I mean, come on, that's all you need to see. Uh, but Charlie Weiss Jr. did say that he was one of the smartest players he's ever coached. So I think that bodes well to uh, maybe a quick decision maker, um, somebody that understands what's going on. And he was, I think, if you look at them coming out of high school, he was the highest rated amongst these guys. So he may have kind of a he probably has more physical talent, I would say, throwing the ball. So I think, you know, it's just good to get another look at somebody. And it, it seems like the Katravis Marsh name keeps coming up more and more as we go on. He's a guy we talked about in preseason because he looked like a grown man in the, in the uh, position-specific uh, pictures. Um, but I saw him play in high school last year, really strong arm, big, big kid. Um, so he may get a look too. But uh, I think – Last week would have been very useful for this, but I don't know if Kate Fortin would have played last week. So it may have ended up this way anyways, where we're still waiting to get a look to see what we got at quarterback. But um, I, 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 hopefully we get a look at him. Maybe this is the week somebody kind of separates themselves. Yeah, through two games, have you seen anything between Jordan McLeod and Noah Johnson to separate them from each other? Or are they still kind of neck and neck for starting backup, whatever kind of reps they're looking at. I think through two games, I think the passing difference is kind of negligible. Um, Jordan's probably a little bit better, but I think Noah Johnson's a much better runner. So if you end up getting to a point where you're like, all right, none of these guys can throw. We need to just use a lot of quarterback run game and option stuff. That would be where the separation would be, I think. But other than that, there's not been a ton of it. Um, it's, you know, if there had been, they probably would have just rolled with one of these guys and said, sorry, Cade, you know, maybe we'll throw you in there. But I, it's it's still pretty, they're pretty neck and neck and they're not, uh, they're not, I don't think they're very far ahead of the guys that haven't played either. So it's uh, unfortunate, but uh, maybe this week they can kind of figure something out. And, you know, also returning this week, more than likely, I mean, he was on the USF radio show this week. Center starting center Brad Cecil uh, looks like he's he's back from the unavailable list from also the Phantom Zone. Also the Phantom Zone. Um, he missed the first two weeks and he's now seemingly back. Typically USF doesn't let hurt or injured players uh, talk to the media or have any you know affiliation with the media during during their recovery process. So seems like a good sign. It looks like you may have you know, four of your five projected starters along the offensive line, unless again, through Notre Dame and contact tracing, you've lost someone, uh, you know, and 
Donovan Jennings got his first start of the season against Notre Dame uh, after missing the first week. And, you know, who knows what's going to, what it's going to look like up front. It's really difficult to assess, you know, just how strapped this team may be. Um, Jeff Scott said, said something in his press conference this week that kind of stuck with me. Um, He said, you know, we haven't had our starting 11 on either side of the ball and we're not going to have that this week. So to me, that means there's at least one guy out on both sides. Um, Offensively, I would assume just by my educated guess, there's going to be an offensive lineman missing, but that's just a, that's a guess on my part. Uh, Defensively, uh, it seems like Dwayne Boyles may not be ready to go. I know he traveled against Notre Dame, uh, but Jeff Scott was pretty vague about that today, uh, basically saying he's been dealing with some back spasms. And he said, you know, long term, the outlook looks good for Dwayne, but, and then just kind of left it at that. So long term, outlook is fine for Dwayne Boyles. Short term, this week, still up in the air. And, you know, with Antonio Greer also missing time, a thin position gets thinner. Steve, what can the Bulls do along the, the that you know front five, front seven, whatever you want to call it, to you know help mitigate some things that Cincinnati does uh, effectively with a depleted linebacker core and and whoever else may be out? Yeah. Um, well, the good news is we're not going to face an offensive line as 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 outmatched. Or we're not going to be as outmatched against an offensive line again um, after that Notre Dame game. Uh, the bad news is we're getting pretty close with Cincinnati. Um, that's a very, very talented offensive line. Um, they paved the way for Michael Warren um, last two years. Then uh, this year, they've been just as um, effective keeping Desmond Ritter clean and uh, opening up running lanes. So this week's going to be another tall task. Um, the talent gap has definitely uh, shrunk there uh, between our uh, front seven and their um, starting five offensive linemen, but I, I'm looking more towards the interior to set the precedence. Um, so I'm looking at um, our nose and our tackle. So Thad Mangum and uh, Blake Green, I'm looking at those two to really kind of take a step forward. Um, Thad Mangum is is the guy that was noted in this uh, too deep to be the one big change. Um, he was not the starter. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was not the starter against Notre Dame, but he is the starter on the depth chart this week. So that's at least, I think that's someone that this coaching staff was very high on when he transferred. Obviously he's got the size and the physicality already. Um, so I think now it's just getting, getting him comfortable and getting him in the, in the play sheet. But uh, you know, without those two, if we don't have Greer and if we don't have Boyles, your backups, I mean, you get sophomore Demaris Bellamy, who I thought his film was very impressive, but you know, he hasn't had much game time and much experience um, and then behind Greer is Andrew Mims, who, you know, walk on hero. I think he may be on scholarship now. I, we haven't gotten a, com- a confirmation, but you're getting really thin there. Behind them are a converted safety and a converted running back. So, you know, either one of those guys needs a break for a breather for a minute. You're getting a guy who's switching positions. So, you know, I, you're going to have to look to your interior defensive line to really kind of set the precedence and, and get the penetration Bridle Desmond Ritter where you can and, and try to, you know, get those stops in the backfield as much as possible in the run game. Our ends have been there, but non-existent at times. So 
you know, maybe this is the breakout week. Maybe this is the time that Glenn Spencer dials it in and, and starts blitzing and, and starts getting these guys in the backfield quicker and, and, and free, hopefully. Yeah, I think, I think that last point is really uh, salient. Um, I think you're going to need to move and be aggressive, especially if you're down those two guys. You know, it's a lot easier just to play one gap if I can blitz it and I know where I'm going. I just got to blow up that gap. That might be easier for younger linebackers that haven't played as much. And then if you can get the defensive line moving and maybe, uh, like Steve mentioned, kind of causing some havoc and maybe keeping blockers off of the second-level guys, that'll help a lot too. So I think you may need to be more aggressive, which almost sounds counterintuitive, but uh, I think your aggression needs to ratchet up if you got backups. So. And and Desmond Ritter, Ritter has been noted as very smart but not accurate. He's been one of those guys that – and it frustrates me – more than anything because they have a top 100 quarterback backing him up um true freshman that they should probably be starting instead but Desmond Murder is not an not an all-star quarterback by any stretch of the imagination he's good he's he's but i mean he makes his mistakes and and he gets rattled pretty easily i mean you saw it last year when we played them i mean you're looking at largely you know aside from some pieces on the defensive line you're looking at largely the same team that held that team to 17 points or excuse me 20 points and took a game winning, took that team right to the end and, you know, had penetration all day. So, you know, I, I don't think USF is completely out of the woods um, as far as having this game just be completely out of their hands. But this is going to take a take the entire village to get it done. Agreed. And it, it, Steve, you mentioned the, the rushing attack for Cincinnati being pretty, pretty dang potent. Uh, they rush for, I think, over three. Uh, nearly 300 yards against Austin P uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, their season opener. Yeah, 270, they had two, 276 yards and five rushing touchdowns against Austin P. And then, you know, the next week, last week against Army, <laughs> not as effective, uh, 35 carries, 69 yards. Um, but they've, they have multiple guys who can run the ball. Four guys have at least 20, uh, excuse me, four guys have at least 11 rushing attempts. Uh, including Jerome Ford, who was one time rumored to be uh, to head to USF because his cousin is KJ Sales. I believe Jerome Ford went to Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so there's some family ties there. He has he's uh, second on the team in attempts and second on uh, second on the team in yards, uh, but he's averaging 4.1 yards uh, a carry with two scores. He came dangerously close to uh, transferring here too. I know that was one of those yeah. those guys they tried to recruit. Yep, and then they they uh, got uh, Darian Felix instead. Jared Doak scares the bejesus out of me as a runner and receiver. Um, he has accounted for. Uh, let me do the math. He's accounted for five of the offense's eleven touchdowns: three on the ground, two in the air, and maybe a guy you want to key in on. And Seth, you've you've started the the process of, of scouting Cincinnati. Is he kind of the guy that kind of pops out when you watch the tape? Yeah. I mean, he does pop out. He's a really good player, but they have, they have two or three backs. Like you mentioned, the guys that are getting carries that are pretty good players. Last year, when I watched them going into the game in the weeks before, I, I remember kind of thinking, okay, they're not super athletic. USF is going to have a chance against them because they're not very athletic. That's not the case this year. They're a lot more athletic receiver than they were last year, and they have three or four good backs. Warren wasn't a super athlete. He was a really good player, but Dokes is a good athlete. 
they have a guy wearing zero that playing tailback that's a really good athlete. And then Ford is a pretty good athlete too. So I think they've gotten a lot more athletic than they were last year on offense at the skill positions, which is a little, little scary if you're USF. Agreed there. Well, one thing I did notice, because uh, we weren't sure if this was happening, but it looks like no fans in the stands for the game as well. They do have interesting concept of having immediate family members of players and coaches and um, some of the band cheer and dance. But uh, normally Nippert Stadium, especially in the, in the uh, afternoon, early evening, can get pretty loud. But with no fans in the stands, that is something to consider. Yeah, what, what do they call it? Nip at night sometimes? Yeah, nip at night. <laughs> and uh, As you saw, that that's what uh, – that, they they really came alive as the twelfth uh, man, as you would say, it against UCF last year to end their conference winning streak, causing a lot of false starts and issues like that. But without fans in the stands, that can change at least that that little bit of it. So, uh, just something to consider. Absolutely, and it's Seth. You know, Steve mentioned it earlier. You can kind of rattle Desmond Ritter uh, quite a bit. Have you noticed that on tape? I know, I know, it's Army and, and Austin P, but. Uh, you know, he's completing just under 60% of his passes, 19 to 34 last week against Army. Have you seen any improvement in from him in, in that regard, or can, can Blitzes still kind of rattle him a little bit? Well, they're, they're doing some stuff to kind of help him in that regard. They're doing – so they're going – I don't think they were last year, but they're – I can't remember. They're going up-tempo now. They're going uh, – they're doing some RPO stuff, so that can combat the Blitz. And he's, he's done pretty well with that kind of stuff. Um, but he does there, – there are times where he'll miss really easy throws, just an easy throw to the flat, and you'll see him, you know, face palm, double face palm to his helmet, you know. So he still has some lapses where he's got some easy throws that he misses, but he's just a guy that seems to be kind of feast or famine. Some, some nights he's on, and if he's on, you're in trouble, and if he's not, you've got a chance. So he still has some of that inconsistency, but I think he's, I think he's getting better. And they've also kind of – I think they're helping him with what they're running schematically. It's a lot of pretty easy throws and open, big open windows. Okay. And, you know, on the USF flip side, you know, Jeff Scott challenged his quarterbacks and wide receivers prior to the FAU game before it got canceled that they need to be better. They need to be more consistent. They need to start making plays uh, through the air. It, can, can you be effective through the air uh, against this – Bearcat secondary, who uh, a lot of people have had it one of the best in the conference, if not the nation, over the last couple of years. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they play against um, Austin P. They played basically a ton of man, got up in your face, played man, and they, they, they'd switch it up every now and then and use a kind of a, a change up zone defense to get a pick in that game. But a lot of it was just man coverage. And that's, I think, I would imagine that's what that's how I would play USF is come up and play main coverage and take away the run game and just say, all right, hit shots over the top, prove it to me that you can do it. So I would imagine that's what they're going to have. That's how they're going to place. You're going to have to have receivers get open, which has not been the strong suit of that unit probably last two seasons, really. So you're going to have to hope one of these guys can kind of go off and maybe Latrell Williams, who's got some explosiveness or. Maybe, uh, you know, Marion Dollison gets in there and, and he uses his speed to kind of pop one. But you're going to have to take some shots against his main coverage and hit them or else they're not going to loosen up. And if, if you can't hit those shots, it's going to be a long night because I think they're just going to play up in your face all night. Okay. And the, the guy that kind of popped out to me for Cincinnati was uh, their linebacker, uh, Terrell White. Uh, leads the team tackles uh, 20. QB hit, two and a half tackles for loss. 
they seem to get to the, the quarterback and create havoc with uh, TFL. So I think they they've got almost they have, have almost twenty through just two games, which is a, a pretty good number to have. Um, you know, comparatively, plus a few pass breakups. They like to create havoc defensively. What what's their kind of bread and butter? Do they how how aggressive can they be from the front? You know, front seven there. So against Austin P and and this will be. Um, by the time you're hearing this, you can go watch this probably on the site when we're breaking it down. Uh, but against Austin P, they were in like a three-down lineman, and they played two linebackers that it looked like about three yards. They just kind of sat at three yards and just went, and they also blitzed them a lot. They blitzed safeties a lot. Um, they looked like they were playing almost uh, – I'm, I'm sure one of those guys is like a hybrid linebacker, you know, linebacker, defensive back, but they were playing – you know, five, six defensive backs, two linebackers, three down linemen, and just bringing guys from all over the place, play man coverage, sometimes play man coverage on one side, play zone on the other, and blitz. So they do a lot of different stuff, but I think the one word when you watch them that jumps out is aggressive. I think they're going to be aggressive with blitzing. They're going to be aggressive up in your face with man coverage, and they're just trying to create havoc in those negative plays. Because when you create a negative play on defense, the chance of scoring on the drive goes way down. So that's kind of the new thing is just let's go balls out and see if we can create a negative play. If we do, that's one drive we can kill. So I think you're going to see a lot of aggressiveness from Cincinnati. From the from the USF side, how do how do they counteract that? Is there anything that you've seen through you know from this offense so far? that can kind of help mitigate. I know RPOs are a, a big thing to help mitigate some of the aggressiveness and take advantage of the aggressiveness. Has USF been able to effectively hit on, you know, one, two RPOs or something to counteract some, some blitzing schemes that uh, they faced early on. One thing I think, and I, I touched on this at the very end of uh, the Cincinnati defense, one thing they had, it wasn't a ton of trouble, but they had a little bit of trouble with um, Austin Pete did some motion stuff and then motioning into bunches. And then bunches, um, people have a lot of defense that have rules for defending a bunch. They, a, lot of, a lot of people like to box it, which they have a kind of four guys around the bunch. I take the, you know, one guy's responsibility is first guy short and outside. Mine's first guy short and inside, deep and outside, deep and inside. So four guys, each other, four things. But uh, Austin Pete did some motion to that. And so they motion to the bunch late so you don't get a chance to recognize it and you don't get a chance to kind of get the box call on. So they, that gave them a little bit of trouble. So I think motion, if they're going to play man coverage motion and try to get guys running head starts, try to get natural picks and crosses. I think that kind of stuff, um, if you're going to get man coverage, that pre-snap is stuff you can do to help get guys open. And then you're going to have to take shots down the field and hit, hit a couple to get them loosened up. Cause if you don't, they're just going to keep playing aggressive. You know, I saw. I you know, it's, it's. I saw a stat. I mean, there are two NFL stats that may not translate to college football, but I thought they were interesting and maybe kind of shed a light into the the COVID situation of 2020 when you don't have enough practice reps. But in the NFL, uh, quarterbacks against man coverage so far this year have excelled. It's like 93 touchdowns, 20 interceptions compared to when the defense is playing zone. It's like 63 touchdowns, 43 interceptions or some, something along those lines where it's a lot, the quarterback's not as good against zone. Um, does that, do you think that kind of translates to the college level? I mean, you know, the NFL, so these guys are getting paid to do, do this stuff. Can, 
can you confuse the the quarterback, the offense a little bit more if you kind of stay zone and and just kind of block it off a little bit more? Maybe this year. I know you've watched a lot of football so far this year. Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there, your your chance of giving up a big play should go down in zone just because you're not giving up one-on-one shots, right? But the thing at lower levels of football, some guys will just take those. It's tough for the NFL because, you know, everybody's got NFL receivers and everybody's got NFL quarterbacks. So and that's a little tougher because, um, you know, you you may lose those one-on-ones, especially with how the rules are in the NFL with contact and stuff like that. At the lower levels, there's still some of that. In college, they're getting everyone's getting better at throwing, so it's kind of it's going away. But some guys will just say, "Okay, I'm going to make you make this throw. I'm going to make this college quarterback make a deep. All right, you can hit that deep out to the side to the other sideline from this opposite hash. I'll give that to you. Can you make the throw? So that's I think that's probably what you see more of in college. The guys aren't afraid as afraid to play man because you you got to hit it. Um, and if I was playing USF, I wouldn't be afraid to play man. Um, I would not. I would not lose one week of sleep thinking about playing man every every play. Okay, and then Ed, uh, to your point, the, the the second kind of NFL thing that I found super interesting that you mentioned uh, the motion or shifts pre snap. Uh, the the teams with the fewest amount of motions and shifts so far in the NFL are the two New York teams, so the Jets and the Giants. They're really good. <laughs> the Broncos, the Jags, the Eagles, and then the Bengals. So using motion to confuse a defense can help you, and it seems like in the NFL that it, it really exacerbates that problem when you don't have either confidence in your quarterback to make the correct you yeah. know, signals for motion. Uh it can really kind of affect your offense because the defense can just sit back and they don't have to think about, okay, well, if he does this, then I do this. Yeah. You can't give, you can't give you, it, you have to be good if you're going to give the defense a static picture that, okay, as soon as they come out, they can see, okay, this is what they're lined up in. It, you have to be, you just have, that's like, okay, we're just going to have to out execute them because they know what we're doing. Uh, motion. You can get a lot of information, like even, um, even if you, the play doesn't work, you get information from motion. You can kind of tell tendencies from motion. Um, it could set something up later down the line. Uh, Miami, a few weeks ago against Louisville, had some motion and some different stuff, and they could just see, okay, this is how they're going to play it, this is how they're going to play it, this is how they're going to play it. Second half, you unleash something on them that's the perfect counter. So motion, I think, is uh, can be a coordinator's best friend, and it can help the quarterback because it does give him some identifiers what's starting to happen on defense too. And you'll see Cincinnati does this and some of the better defenses in, in college are doing this as well. Is they're showing you one thing. It's a similar thing. We're going to show you something at the snap and then at the snap of the ball, we're moving into something else. It's the same idea. We're, gonna show, we're not going to show you a static picture. We're going to make you process information. Uh, but offensively motion is that we're going to make you process information and Gus Malzahn has a famous saying that cloudy minds equal slow feet. So he likes to use motion and misdirection to kind of slow people down. And that's something I think if USF can incorporate some motion, um, like the stats you mentioned, like we talked about a little bit earlier, that can help get, it could help spring somebody open. And maybe I spring Johnny Ford into the flat open and I get him a throw in the flat, an easy throw for my quarterback. He makes somebody miss and he goes like, that's the kind of plays you're going to need. And, um, 
motion can help with that. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I mean, I don't think we're we're messing with the you know the John Gruden like lineup in the eye no. formation that everyone flips out. No. Right? It's just hey, they had an extra they had an extra few days to get ready. Why not? <laughs> You know, it, it's nothing like that. It's just, you know, simple, like, you know, jet action motions or yeah. you know, rolling the tight end, doing something to maybe, bring, you know, bring a guy out and double stack them out wide. Well, if you, yeah, and if you, like if you can get the safety to stop his feet for a second on a jet motion and then run one of your, you know, fast guys behind him, that's that, that, there, that could be your explosive play right there. I love when I was, when I was calling plays, I loved using motion. We use it all the time jet motion under center and the shotgun. Uh, motion early in the game just to get because I can get information on basically two different formations and a motion when I I start one formation motion to another I get to see how the defense lines up to both and I get to see how they react to motion so that stuff early can give the coordinator a lot of information so and if it's if you're getting heavy main coverage you can get natural picks and get guys open for easy throws early which they I think they're going to need get whoever the quarterback is get him some early confidence and then use it to set up some shots later. All right. Uh, yeah, mo- moving on here. Uh, what what can uh, – to the room, honestly, what what can USF do to, to win this game? What? So I, I think there's, <laughs> there's always still a bit of like – I mean, we're not that devoid of talent to where you think we're going to get blown out again. I look back to last year, but it's one of those things with COVID. There's just there, – there's nothing you can do. I mean – they have to somehow catch Cincinnati in a sense where Ritter's not playing, playing on. He is not all, he's not on his receivers. They can somehow keep them to keep to get the ball on the ground. Maybe make a few um, special teams, gaffes, interceptions, turnovers, something to help them kind of get going. But I, you got to tell me that the passing games, it, it has some semblance of success, whether it's explosive pay, plays or they can hold drives. I mean, based off the two games we saw, I'm not entirely sure it's there, but you know, give me any of the quarterbacks being able to sling the ball and the receivers making catches, get a couple explosive plays in the running backs and a couple turnovers. And I mean, last year without uh, all those missed kicks, they would have won that game or, you know, with, with everything, you know, with context, it's possible Cincinnati does something different, but they were very much in that game. I won't write them off just quite yet, but I think Cincinnati's just more complete and Luke Fickle is right now got that program humming. So that's what I think needs to happen. Stay what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's no surprise. It's going to take a perfect storm of, of you know, mistakes done by Cincinnati. Um, you know, my, my hope, and, you know, this might be fleeting hope, but I, the hope is that Cade Fortin comes in and can be effective as a thrower. Because right now I feel strongly about that USF's running game. It, it can be a, a very, you know, one of the best running games in the group of five. Um, dare I say probably, you know, upper 40, top 40 of the, of nationally. But for me, at least like without a passing game uh, at Salford null, because it's only so many times that we can get, you know, four yards of carry, six yards of carry, whatever it is. And then, you know, they're just going to stack the box and, you know, force our quarterbacks who can't really throw the ball well to throw the ball. So the hope is that, you know, Kate Ford can come in and, and make a difference, you know, whether it's, you know, at, in the third quarter in the fourth quarter, whenever he comes in, you know, that's kind of my hope because I haven't really seen that out of Noah, nor have I seen that out of Jordan. And, and I don't think Travis is ready uh, to, to step into that starting role yet. So 
the hope this week is that we can get some semblance of a passing game going, even if it's just, you know, effective short yard passings to help move the sticks or, um, you know, occasionally hitting a deep pass here and there's something to just give me hope uh, because as, as surprising this is I'm running out of hope. Um, I never thought I'd say that about a USF team three games into a season, but, you know, judging by the Citadel game, just and the Notre Dame game, just being complete lack of talent when it comes to throwing a football, it's it's I feel like it's just going to be a lot of the same from last year. It's just, you know, might as well hop off the bandwagon and hope, you know, Timmy McLean or Katrevis Marsh can come in next year and, and do better. Seth, what about yourself? Yeah, one thing you said, Steve, that's um, that is interesting is the effect of uh, a decent passing game on a running game. So I think a good example of this this past weekend is if you watch Georgia and Arkansas play. When Georgia had their initial starting quarterback in who had a lot of trouble throwing the ball, they were running for like two or three yards a carry. Once they got a quarterback in that could just make a few throws, it wasn't spectacular. The second half, it was like six yards a carry just after he got in, just because you kind of back people off a little bit. So whichever one of the quarterbacks, if one of them can make some throws down the field, and then I think we we have to remember it could take time just because – Again, no spring practice, but they're also breaking in a lot of new guys at receiver and at quarterback that have never played with each other. It does take a little bit of time. Well, I'm sure they got together over the summer. It's different when you got a, a live pass rush coming at you. So maybe they just need a little time, and if they can hit some throws down the field, loosen up the defense for the run game, maybe pull a few tricks out here and there, that's what they're going to have to do offensively. Uh, defensively, I think they just have to stay aggressive, stop the run, make Ritter beat you through the air. They weren't able to do that against Notre Dame just because you couldn't stop the run, but they didn't let uh, Ian Book beat them through the air because they didn't really have to. But if you can slow down Cincinnati's run and make Ritter try to beat you through the air, kind of lean on, especially if you got guys out, lean on your best group, which you think is your defensive back. So lean on them, put the game on them, be aggressive up front, try to cause some havoc, and let them play one-on-one and just see what happens. Agreed. And, you know, that was kind of the recipe for uh, USF last year. Uh, Ritter was 9 of 18 for 78 yards against the Bulls last year. But Michael Warren had a fantastic game. They rushed for over 200 yards uh, as a team. And the thing that was kind of the bugaboo for USF, you know, last two years plus the first two games of this year was third down. And they were really effective uh, defensively on third down against Cincinnati last year. 4-14, unfortunately, two of those third down conversions came uh, on that final drive where on third and 11, Ritter hits, uh, I think it's Michael Warren both times, that hits him third and 11 for 11 yards and then hits uh, on, I think it was like third and six for a 30-yard gain to set up the offense uh, to drive down and kick that game-winning field goal. And, you know, just kind of looking back to that, Cincinnati only turned the ball over once, and USF missed a field goal. They turned it over at the Cincinnati 20. USF missed a field goal at the end of the half. And then, you know, that final USF drive, I I think a lot of people forget, it started at the USF 3. McLeod drove them all the way down the field, had a big uh, gainer to Eddie McDoom, who has opted out and is now in the transfer portal. Way out. Way, way out. Too way too far out, and drove him down, and then missed another field goal to to win the game with about two minutes left. That I think those are the kind of things that I believed in Jordan McLeod about. That I mean, driving down the field with two minutes left for starting 
it basically in your own end zone and then having it just kind of blow up in your face because it, your kicker can't make a 33-yard field goal, that's, that's tough. It, it's a tough look. I know he Jordan, he threw for 267 yards last year against the Cincinnati team who was really good. This is a, this is a very good team, and he, he kind of threw all over the field on them. USF kind of dominated the game except didn't win. I mean, they had an almost 200-yard advantage on offense last year. And that was the game with the phantom offensive pass interference too, right? Where they would have gone up. Was that, that was when they were gone up 14, nothing early. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, yes, it was. Thank so, you for reminding me. So, yeah. I mean, the, it's really hard for USF to win when they have to play the refs too. Am I right guys? That's correct. So that's, I mean, that's, it's unfortunate, but such is life. And I think we can, I'm not, I'm not as pessimistic as I was, uh, you know, against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, luckily, without seeing what I've, what would have ever happened against FAU, I can confidently say maybe it's a closer game uh, because I think that FAU team was going to be out for blood, quite frankly. And Cincinnati's going to have a chip on the shoulder because this was this was their hardest game that they that they played last year and still kind of won. They they struggle bust through this entire game. Uh, I think they may be out to prove a point. With that, I think it's time for some predictions. So, you guys can't see this, but Seth has the biggest smile on his face because he knows what's about to happen. It's patient. So, Seth, let's start with you. All right. What is um, your prediction? Let's go with, I'm going to say 38 to 10, Cincinnati. Sorry, I'm not going to leave. I, I, I kind of figured. Okay. 38 to 10 Cincinnati. Um, uh, 30, 30, 45 seconds. Why? I'm just, I think the way Cincinnati plays defense is not, it's kind of almost a kryptonite of USS offense as much as you can compare USS offense to Superman. Um, but yeah, I think ag- uh, aggressive in your face defense is going to be tough for USF to put points up on. And when you can't sustain drives and you go as fast as USF does, you're going to wear your defense out and with depth kind of dwindling. I think later in the game, Cincinnati's going to be able to run the ball and kind of get control of it if they don't have it early, if they're not hitting passes. So that's kind of my idea. When you go so fast, if you're not successful, it, it can hurt you. But So that, that's kind of my thoughts. Vito, what's your prediction? Uh, mine's actually not too far off from Seth, but 35-17. That that's where I'm going with. I think Cincinnati uh, does pretty well pretty early. USF gets rolling. I won't say rolling, but gets a couple touchdowns. And uh, that whole the old uh, 17 they used to get a few years back starts coming back to haunt them a little bit. So 35-17. Uh, I'll go next. I think, uh, you know what, I said I wasn't as pessimistic, but I think I am. I'm Maybe even more so. Uh, 45-3 Cincinnati. I don't think Cade Fortin moves the needle enough for this offense. I worry about potential unavailables. I worry that potentially having your starting linebackers out uh, is going to be an issue. And then there's no way you can tell me right now that of the 37 guys that they couldn't practice with in the middle of last week, that all of them are either walk-ons or scout team, and they're not going to be there's not going to be some starters in that bunch that either either out because they contracted COVID or they're out due to contact tracing. I don't, USF just doesn't have the horses yet. 
It's going to get fixed, but they don't have the horses yet. And finally, Mr. Robert Stieg, what is your prediction for the week? Um, so I, I'm going to take a book at, or a, a page out of, out of Jess Scott's book here. Um, you know, he was talking about resiliency and I, I think this team has a lot of resiliency in it. Um, I think Cade Fortin, uh, I, I don't think people were giving him enough credit for the amount of experience that he had at UNC. So I think he comes in. I think he proves that he's the true number one quarterback that USF needs this year. I think he was the quarterback going forward. And I think defensively, I think they're going to rattle Desmond Ritter. I think they're going to do a good job of dialing up blitzes. I know Glenn Spencer's a smart guy when it comes to playing quarterbacks that he can rattle. Um, he's been doing this for 30 years, so he's he's probably done this a few times. And uh, Charlie Weiss Jr., this is your time to shine, buddy. You said he's the smartest quarterback you got. Let's see what Cape Ford has. USF wins 56-7, to and Cincinnati doesn't score until the fourth quarter. There you have it, folks. There you have it. On a, on a pretty awful day, Steve gives us some optimism there. So I appreciate that. Any final thoughts from, from the group here before uh, we sign off and uh, start preparing uh, for Saturday? I, I, think it's, I think it's inevitable at this point. Um, there's no way the season's going to finish. And, I mean, there's, there's games getting canceled left and right. I think what, what the team needs to do right now is understand that, I mean, they already pretty much do this. This season's a wash. There's, this is a learning experience for these guys. This is a time to get them in the game. It is a time for, you know, you to experiment, roll the dice, put Jordan Smith in there, put Travis Marsh, put whoever you want in there and, and get them some playing time. Cause at the end of the year, at about five weeks, when the, like nothing's going to happen, we might play a bowl game, but now's the time that we can say we're, we're at rock bottom. This is, this is rock bottom. And I'm completely fine with it because we know that Jeff Scott at the helm and we know that the sports staff on the helm is, is going to turn around this program. The recruitings are already there. The recruiting is already looking like one of the top ones in the class. And we're about you know, two, three months from national signing day or early signing day. They've got some good guys in this class that are going to come and help mold the future. USF fans, please be patient with it. Have fun with it. Understand, you know, none of this shit matters. Nihilist, Nihilist. Nihilist Arby's has been in my uh, Twitter feed recently, so I'm feeling it. But I, I to, to that point, um, I didn't want to end on a down note, but since Steve already started, I thought there was a marked difference, at least on Tuesday press conference and Jeff Scott's demeanor from early, from even two weeks ago. It just seems there's so much stuff going on. Some of the, uh, some of his optimisms, uh, is, it's become, I think it's become a little more real for him. And he's even started talking about, well, year two, year three, year four, we're going to have this thing rolling. You know, he, so it, he said he, the word rebuild the, uh, yeah. this week, and yeah. that was that was the that was the trigger word here, folks. Uh, you know, the secret word was rebuild, and he, he, so, he finally said it. Yeah, like we said last, like I said last year, and it's always stressed earlier in the year. You don't know what you have until your first game, and then when your first game is against the Citadel, you still don't know what you have. And then once he played Notre Dame, which he kind of that's the level he's been coaching at for a while. Now I think he really knows what he has. Okay, well, this is where we need to improve. This is where we need to – and what's I think the encouraging thing is that this staff still wants to be competitive. They're still going to compete. So they're going to try things. They're going to do things. They're going to – they're not just going to – I don't think they're just going to sit and kind of 
let the same guys play. If they're not performing, they're going to try to roll new guys in, especially when eligibility doesn't count. So I think, I don't think you're going to see the staff quit fighting, but I think you, you may see some more experimentation or giving guys extended shots because I think they realize what, how kind of difficult the job is for this season now that they've played somebody kind of to really compare themselves to. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff Scott said in that press conference when he was talking about the rebuild, he had options to go to uh, a level like USF, but maintain what was already happening. He, maybe. Upstate, FAU, who knows? But he, did, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to build something from the ground up. It's like when you start like a, a Madden franchise or like an NCAA franchise and you pick like Georgia Southern or something and you like try to take them to the national championship game, like after like five years or whatever, that's, that's the approach he wanted to take. And it's a, it's a rebuild. It's building uh, from the ground up foundation first, get the philosophy in, and you'll you'll see it permeate through the rest of uh, the team and through the next couple of years. But again, just show some patience. Don't get too mad at, on Saturday. Go go to a pumpkin patch or plenty right now. I'm sure Seth's wife already has the list of pumpkin patches they're going to be hitting over the next three weeks. We've had a, we've had our six foot scarecrow up for a month now. <laughs> His name is Clark. So, I mean, just enjoy the fresh air. It's cool outside for the first time uh, in a long, long time. Enjoy it. Wear a mask. Be safe. Be secure. Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything Seth wouldn't do. I would say don't do anything Rob wouldn't do. But, Steve, you're unpredictable and, quite frankly, a cesspool. So. Um, I've been pretty predictable this year, actually, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> I've been pretty consistent. Your predictions are predictable. <laughs> <laughs> so again, stay safe. It, it, it'll be fun. It's going to be on ESPN plus three thirty on Saturday. Make sure you follow us, Stampede SBN. We have a special, special, very special guest tweeter. He's going to. This person is going to live tweet this game for us. Uh, you'll enjoy it. I always enjoy when this person volunteers. He was going to do the FAU game, which would have been just art. But we missed we missed it, uh, so he asked to do this week's game. So we're gonna let him. I'll make sure to have the affiliate link uh, for the Daily Stampedes, uh, ESPN Plus um, sign up on this podcast uh, on the on the link to or excuse me on the story. Uh, we'll post it on everything that we we send out with Seth's story, the game preview, everything. So we'll make sure everybody knows ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus. Just be prepared. Just be prepared. Just be prepared that your worst case scenario, what happened in the Citadel game where you guys didn't see like the first quarter and a half, it could happen again, you know? Uh, so just be prepared for that win and you get on better affiliates. That's basically what it is, folks. Either win and get better or just have enough teams have to postpone so you get bumped up to network television. So those are your options this year. Winning, get better, get better affiliates, or just pray that four ACC games get canceled and they need filler time. But without further ado, this has been the Bluminati Podcast. Thanks for listening. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Skyline Chili sucks. <laughs>